This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Thursday, November 3rd of 2022. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Thank you for joining us here on listener-supported community radio. Coming up on today's program, immigrants' rights organizers held a Day of the Dead vigil outside of the private immigration detention center in Aurora yesterday evening. We'll hear why. We'll have a report examining what's behind a liquor licensing measure on this year's ballot. Then, this time on the Cannabis Report, longtime marijuana correspondent Leland Rucker walks us through the details of Proposition 122, a ballot measure currently before Colorado voters that would decriminalize adult personal use and possession of some hallucinogenic plants and fungi, as well as create a natural medicine regulated access program. A BBC News update is at the bottom of the hour. Then at 8.30, Chef Daniel Asher and Rosanna Longobetter will host Kitchen Table Talk, KGNU's monthly call-in show about food and agriculture. At 9.30, Dennis Ryder will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead this morning, but first, the headlines with KGNU's Claire Purnell. The Boulder Valley School District settled a three-year-long Title IX lawsuit Monday, agreeing to pay two former Fairview High School students $1.26 million, stemming from allegations that the district failed to investigate complaints of sexual harassment by school athletes and did nothing to protect students from inappropriate behavior. The settlement also requires all district staff to complete Title IX training. Starting in 2019, Boulder Police performed an internal investigation into the former principal's handling of sexual harassment complaints after a series of arrests of former school athletes on sexual assault charges. Some students say Fairview officials were aware during the 2016-2017 school year that the ex-lacrosse player was accused of raping at least two other students but neglected to adequately investigate. As part of the settlement, the district also agreed to provide more consent, sexual assault, and sexual harassment training for students during school hours. The Boulder County Commissioners decided Tuesday to reject a lease offer from Extraction Oil and Gas Incorporated for mineral rights in eastern Boulder County. In a letter from Extraction Oil and Gas Inc. sent in July, the company threatened to push force pooling if Boulder County decided not to lease mineral rights for its blue paintbrush drilling project. The project area is located in Weld County, but Boulder County owns a conservation easement on the land and would be affected by the horizontal drilling under several square miles of Boulder County. According to a Boulder County news release, almost all of the nearly 100 written responses by the public received before the hearing opposed the lease offer. Boulder County commissioners agreed with residents that leasing county-owned materials could significantly threaten public health and the environment. Extraction's application for forced pooling before Colorado's Oil and Gas Conservation Commission is set for a hearing on January 25th. The University of Colorado police say vandals have damaged several signs at the CU South property in recent days. KGNU's Luis Lincoln reports. The damaged signs explain the future development of the 308-acre property that the university has owned since 1997 and which lies outside of the Boulder City limits. Boulder City Council agreed to annex the property last year with a provision that the university would deed part of the property to the city for flood mitigation. The vandalism comes just ahead of an election in which a measure to reverse the annexation is on the ballot. 
Many supporters of the ballot question 2F say that the city got a poor deal on the annexation agreement and should renegotiate, while opponents say that the measure would delay much-needed flood mitigation to the area. Campus police say that vandalism is costing the university $5,000 in damages and with anyone with information regarding the vandalism to contact university police. For KGNU, I am Luis Licon. The American Civil Liberties Union of Colorado announced Thursday the organization has sent letters to Weld County and 11 Colorado municipalities demanding the local governments to remove charter restrictions that bar citizens with prior felony convictions from running for office. ACLU Colorado said in its press release yesterday the candidacy restrictions directly violate the Colorado Constitution, which they say protects the rights of citizens who have completed their criminal sentencing to run for office, unless the crime involves embezzlement of public money, bribery, and perjury. According to the ACLU, the exceptions by the state's constitution are not applicable to the charters of the municipalities in Weld County, who they have sent demands to. The group won a lawsuit against the city of Aurora and its charter provision last year, which initially prevented candidate Candace Bailey from running for city council. In the ACLU press release, a formerly convicted official with Community Works said that as mass incarceration plagues many Colorado communities, returning citizens running for office offer a wealth of lived experience and a voice for the unheard. ACLU Colorado is demanding the municipalities in Weld County to respond within two weeks. Denver police say they have located the sport utility vehicle allegedly used by the suspects in a shooting Tuesday afternoon near the intersections of Verbena and East Colfax. The shooting left one person dead and another five wounded. Police found the black Ford Explorer in the 3900 block of Colorado Boulevard. Denver Police CMDR Matt Clark told CBS News that the suspects approached the scene in another vehicle. They exited the vehicle and shot multiple rounds from handguns before returning back to their vehicle and speeding away from the scene. The suspects abandoned that vehicle. The suspects abandoned that vehicle near the 12th Avenue and Yosemite Street, where they got into the identified SUV and drove away. The long-awaited, or maybe dreaded, first snow of the season is supposedly coming today. Following a couple days of nearly record-breaking heat for November, weather conditions in Colorado are about to change quickly. A snowstorm headed for Colorado will bring cold temperatures today. The National Weather Service expects snow to develop over the mountains this morning. Light rain will develop over the Front Range cities today, spreading across the plains and changing to snow early this evening. The snow is expected to stop after midnight. Snow accumulations in the valleys and foothills could be around 3 to 6 inches, and in the Front Range cities, 1 to 3 inches. Overnight, it could get cold enough for slushy and icy conditions. Today in Denver, we'll see a high of 42 degrees and a low of 23 degrees. In Fort Collins, we're going to see a high of 44 degrees with a low of 23 degrees. And in Boulder, we'll see a high of 42 degrees and a low of 24 degrees. For KGNU, I'm Claire Purnell. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Dozens of protesters, activists, and immigrant families gathered outside the ICE detention center operated by the GEO Corporation in Aurora last night for a candlelight vigil marking Dia de los Muertos and those who have died in custody. 
This has become an annual action, but this year's Day of Remembrance occurred just weeks after the death of Melvin Ariel Calero Mendoza at the facility. Speakers called on Colorado congressional leaders to scale back ICE funding in the current budget process. KGNU's Dave Ashton was there and spoke with Gabriela Flora of the American Friends Service Committee after the presentation. Tell us more about the size and the scope of detention for immigrants and refugees. You did quote some pretty stark statistics. Is this growing? So, yes, we are now spending $28 billion a year go to ICE and Customs and Border Patrol. And this money, much of it goes to line pockets, just like the Geo Corporation, which is we're standing in front of here, where um, the... Mr. Calero Mendoza uh, died at the hands of ICE and, CB- and, and GEO just this, two weeks ago. And so we're seeing that these numbers have increased drastically, and not because it is what makes society better. In fact, it hurts society, but because companies are making money off of it. And so what we want to see in the current budget, actually, by uh, the Biden administration does cut numbers, uh, does cut funds for detention. And we want to see, make sure that that is maintained in the budget, but that we also see cuts to alternatives to detention because we're calling, uh, the government calls it alternatives to detention, but it's ways of maintaining surveillance on people outside of detention um, and increasing, again, corporations are making lots of money off of this. So we, and we also need to see a cut to Customs and Border Patrol um, because as I mentioned earlier, this year uh, Customs and Border Patrol just came out with their annual count of folks who die crossing the border. And 2021 was a record year with 546 people who died crossing the border. And this year it was 853. And we know that those numbers are, are undercounted. And those deaths are happening because we've invested so much money in militarizing the border. And again, many companies make money off of building walls, off of uh, surveillance equipment, um, and it pushes people who are crossing the border into the hands and gives power to uh, criminal rings. And so we need to see these funds, these cuts to detention and to Customs and Border Patrol because what they're resulting in uh, is devastation and severe trauma for our communities. With this particular facility, there's a lot of uh, a lot going on. There's a class action lawsuit with claims of people's labor being compelled in ways that even broke the agreements with the uh, with ICE. Yes. So people are often paid a um, dollar a day for working in uh, cleaning the facility, uh, serving food, and this is a way again for the company that receives billions of tax dollars to cut to increase their profit and force people on labor and and when you speak with folks who've been inside um, often it's not really an option Um, you are you are highly encouraged to do that kind of labor and if you're not you're you you can receive some different consequences and so the conditions inside we know that again the company receives millions and millions of dollars and yet the health care is completely inadequate and devastating to families. What is your call to action that people do right now? So our call to action is get on the phone right now, call Senator Bennett, call Senator Hickenlooper, call the full Colorado delegation, call your congressperson and tell them you must cut funds to ICE and the Border Patrol. That is essential to the safety and 
health of our community long term. And then secondly, we're also calling on immigrants have made a big push um, and it's because of their push that we have a registry bill that is introduced into the House and the Senate. It is a bill that would allow uh, under it's just changing the date on current immigration law from 1972 to the seven years ago. And if people follow the process, they would be able to legalize their status. And so we, uh, fortunately, Congressman Crow was the first Coloradan to sign on. So he has signed on to the registry bill and subsequently Congressman Nagoose and Congresswoman DeGette have signed on. But we have yet to have the rest of the Colorado delegation sign on to the registry bill. And Senators Hickenlooper and Bennett have not signed on to this bill, yet they say they support immigration reform. So please also call the senators when you tell them and the Colorado delegation when you call them to say cut funds to ICE and CBP as you're working on the budget right now. Uh, support the registry bill. Thanks for being on KGNU today. Thank you so much. That was Gabriela Flora of the American Friends Service Committee speaking with KGNU's Dave Ashton outside of the immigrant detention facility in Aurora last night. Turning now to election coverage, Proposition 124, one of three alcohol-related measures on this year's ballot, asks voters if they should repeal Colorado's restrictions on liquor store licenses. Creators of the proposition say it amends outdated laws that hurt small liquor stores. Business owners who oppose the liquor-related propositions say the state's laws protect their bottom line and Prop 124 would put them out of business. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon reports. Proposition 124 on this year's ballot asked voters if the state should allow liquor stores to have an unlimited number of licenses. Bruce Deerking is the owner and founder of Hazel's Beverage World in Boulder. He says if Prop 124 passes, it would repeal post-prohibition era laws that have protected small liquor store owners in Colorado for close to a century. In Colorado, our policy was that grocery and convenience stores would be able to sell low-strength beer and anything else stronger would be sold through licensed retail liquor stores and only one license per person would be allowed. The limited licenses, which over the years have increased to three per owner, have created a unique environment for small liquor stores. Deerking says because of the laws, small businesses can thrive in Colorado because they don't have to compete with large big box franchises. And I would argue, even though you might say it it could be more convenient for consumers if alcohol were available more places, or if you could order alcohol and have it delivered everywhere, is that really one of our top problems in Colorado, that it's just too hard to buy alcohol? Supporters of Prop 124 say yes. David and Robert Trone are two out-of-state brothers who have almost single-handedly funded the Yes on Prop 124 campaign with close to $13 million in donations. The brothers own the nation's largest independent alcoholic beverage retailer, Total Wine & More. The retailer has 229 locations, or so-called superstores, across the nation. Last year, they brought in close to $5 billion. Deerking says in some states, Total Wine & More has virtually eliminated any competition. If you go to Arizona, for example, um, Total Wine & More really dominates, and there are very few local liquor stores. Even around Arizona State, even around the college, you have a few Total Wine & Mores, and that's it. That's the entire market. 
In Colorado, because of the state's liquor laws, Total Wine & More can only operate three locations. The Trone brothers, one of whom is a congressional representative in Maryland, say not only are these laws unfair to their business, they're bad for any liquor store business in Colorado. Yes, on Prop 124, spokesperson Scott Willoughby says repealing the restrictions gives everyone a more equal playing ground, including small businesses. This is a fairness argument. And I think that the piece of the campaign that the media has really failed to recognize and report on is this element of the great compromise that allowed full strength beer into the grocery stores and expanded the number of liquor licensed drug stores can own. And I think that they don't understand and that's not fair to these guys. The great compromise was a deal made between large grocers and Colorado liquor store owners in 2016 and came after years of failed attempts by grocers to repeal the state's liquor laws in an effort to protect small liquor store owners who argued that repealing the laws would devastate thousands of family-owned businesses. The great compromise allowed large grocery stores with pharmacies to gradually increase liquor store licenses over the course of around 20 years. It also allowed large grocers to sell full-strength beer, which grocers argued supported the state's small craft brewers. In exchange, liquor stores could sell some food products, and grocers, hopefully, would keep liquor laws off the ballot. Lauren Touch, owner of Gun Barrel Liquor, says... Not only did the grocery stores not keep their word about keeping liquor laws off the ballot as seen by this year's ballot, they didn't follow through with their support to craft brewers. And that's just not happened at all. In fact, a lot of the small brewers are having a very difficult time getting on the shelves at Kink Supers, at Safeway, at Walmart, at Target. And the reason why is because when you can work with fewer and fewer suppliers, it's easier for uh, a big corporation to do business. Bruce Deerking says regardless of industry, small local businesses tend to look out for each other because it's good for everyone's bottom line. Consumers have done really well here. Our craft industry is what it is, largely because local producers could walk in and talk to the owners of local stores, get their products on the shelf, and the dollars people spend in these stores stay in our communities. You know, the owners are here, the employees are here, the customers are here at all cycles and stays here. Deerking says Prop 124 would change all that. According to Colorado's Licensed Beverage Association, one of the groups representing liquor store owners in Colorado and supporting the efforts against Proposition 124, about 60 percent of the state's liquor stores are owned by people of color and women. Prop 124 would put many of these family-owned stores out of business. And in a time where income inequality, the shrinking middle class, and systemic racism are big issues, we're talking about passing a law to benefit major out-of-state corporations that's going to put all these family businesses out and leave families that currently have a middle class income figuring out, where do I go to support my family? And I just think that's the wrong policy. Lauren Touch of Gun Barrel Liquor says if Prop 24 or any of the alcohol-related propositions on this year's ballot pass, it's only a matter of time before gun barrel liquor will probably close. We used to have tons of independent. When I was younger, I'm 43. When I was younger, we used to have independent, you know, flower shops, lots of them. We used to have independent delis, video stores, pharmacies, 
butchers, we don't see those anymore. So, you know, what is, what's left? You know, I mean, how much are we going to allow them to take, really? Touch says if Coloradans want to know what will happen when large corporations come into a market with local businesses, all they have to do is look around at other retail sectors in Colorado's economy. We don't, there's... The landscape for independent business in Colorado is slowly shrinking, slowly shrinking. And I think allowing any of these propositions to pass, especially 124, is to to send a message to all Coloradans that their small business aspirations don't matter here. The ballot question about loosening restrictions on liquor licensing comes as the two biggest grocery store chains in Colorado, Kroger-owned King Supers and Albertsons-owned Safeway, discuss their intent to merge nationwide. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. And now it's time for the Cannabis Report here on KGNU Community Radio. I'm Hanley Myers, and as always, I'm joined by longtime cannabis correspondent Leland Rucker. Leland, thank you so much for being here. Good morning. All right, so we're going to dig into, since it is voting season, Proposition 122. It looks at plant-based psychedelics in Colorado and the future there. Leland, explain this for us. What do we have going on here with this proposition? Well, uh, first of all, I want to say let's everybody should be voting. Vote. Denver voters approved decriminalizing psychedelics by a narrow margin just a couple of years ago. And since then, many other municipalities have considered decriminalization of psychedelic materials. And this would go a step further. Besides decriminalizing psychedelics for anyone in the state, it would just decriminalize it. Uh, It would set up a system that would allow psychedelic mushroom use in clinical settings for therapeutic uses does not say anything about selling it in stores like cannabis. You're not going to be able to go in and buy mushrooms or anything like that, psilocybin. It's a statutory measure. It's not a constitutional measure, which Amendment 64 was, and uh, that was for cannabis sales to adults. And specifically, it says that Proposition 122 would decriminalize the personal possession, growing, sharing, and use, but not the sale of five natural psychedelic substances by individuals age 21 and over, including two substances found in psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin and psilocin, which psilocybin turns into psilocin in your body, and that's what creates the high. And there are three plant-based psychedelic substances, DMT, ibogaine, and mescaline. And psilocybin is converted by the body to psilocin, and this is the actual compound which produces their psychoactive effects. So Proposition 122 says that personal use would be decriminalized, Correct. but there's no legal sale. Correct. In, so, But it could be grown or gifted, that kind of thing. Kind of like we saw in cannabis, I know, in kind of the in-between times. But this is no sale is allowed, but personal use would be decriminalized. Correct. Okay, just wanted to make that clear. And uh, by late 2024... It would allow the supervised use of psychedelic mushrooms by individuals age 21 and over at licensed facilities only. 
and require the state to create a regulatory structure for the operation of those licensed facilities. We don't have any structure for that at all at this point. It would also allow the state to expand the types of substances that may be used in licensed facilities to include the use of DMT, Ibogaine, or mescaline starting in 2026. And it would prohibit local governments from banning licensed facilities, services, and use of natural psychedelic substances as permitted by the measure while allowing local governments to regulate the time, place, and manner of the operations. It would also establish penalties for individuals under the age of 21 for possessing, using, or transporting natural psychedelic substances and for individuals age 21 and over who allow underage access to those substances. And so that's exactly what the measure says. And I urge people to just decide for yourselves whether or not this is a good idea or 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 not. Some people think it is. Some people uh, don't think it is. Um, some people who even like psychedelics uh, really think that this might be a way for um, big corporations to take over the use of psychedelic substances. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's something that everybody should read. We're, there's definitely been enough, even the NIH has come up um, with things and studies that show that there's a possibility that psychedelics could be of use to certain people. And I think that people need to look at those things. Like the, I mean, the NIH is not it, it usually is uh, against drugs, but um, the NIH survey actually looks at both sides. And uh, the study is called The Therapeutic Potential of Psilocybin. It was produced in 2021, and it includes information about other substances. So I urge everyone to look at that before you make your decision. If you think this is a good idea, then vote for it. If you don't, then don't. Um, some don't like the, the reliance on traditional medicine, um, some uh, that there's no personal use in the wording. These are things that bother some people. But again, everyone should make their own decision. Um, people who are against it, organizer Melanie Rose Rogers said, decriminalization isn't a popular thing for companies and corporations and venture capital. Decriminalization is for the people. Uh, one of the places that I went to look at the uh, whole subject is uh, um, HTTP Richard Valenti. He was a reporter here in Boulder, and he takes a really good look at all the pros and cons of all of the uh, different issues, and especially on, on, on this one. So that's Richard Valenti, V-A-L-E-N-T-Y.com. But there's a lot of places um, on the web and uh, in newspapers where you can find information about all this. But may, mostly vote. Make sure and vote. We got until next Tuesday. Really interesting stuff. And it's so fun to see the similarities with this to cannabis and some of the concerns that we saw in early work on cannabis legalization and decriminalization, looking at fears that big corporations were going to step in. In this case, big medical companies are going to step in and kind of take over. Well, you know, some people are concerned about the fact that people can grow their own um Psych psychedelics with this bill, um, and they 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 fear that maybe big corporations will take that over and then sell it to people. But uh, again, 
you have to just make your own decision on this. There's, there's a lot of fears, but there were a lot of fears about cannabis. And the other part is, is laws can change. And this isn't a constitutional amendment, no, so this it's is not. less less no, this in is stone a per se. Yeah. yeah, huh? Interesting, Leland. Thank you so much for bringing some clarity to us there. And yeah, we agree very much. Uh, get out there and vote, make your decisions, and uh, we're happy to be part of that. And thank you for bringing us some some details and some information on this Prop One Twenty Two for KGNU. I'm Hanley Myers. That's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for Kitchen Table Talk with Daniel Asher and Rosana Longobetter and their guests.